It's always just trying to start this thing. You just got to get stuck into it. So. It's like writer's block. Yeah, this is another episode of the Last Rings podcast, and I'm joined today by Sass, the alcohol strategist. Welcome, Sass. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. It's a pleasure having you. Another another first podcast person we've got here. This is your first one you've done. That's right. Yeah. Nervous? Not nervous. No. I was a bit nervous about where to look, but we've covered that. So we've covered now that. We're yeah. Good. <laughs> you don't have to look at me. Um, just look over there. <laughs> so yeah, you're a digital content creator. I don't know if there's any other form of. I don't think there's analog content creation. But anyway, um, so a lot of yeah is around strategies around mindful drinking, and I guess what is built here as your Instagram is in front of me, inspiring women to build a conscious relationship with alcohol and socializing and then strategies to live an alcohol-free lifestyle as well. Mindful drinking and Mm alcohol-free. And part of the reason why I decided to have that two-prong approach was when I commenced my conscious relationship with alcohol, I intended to be a mindful drinker. I wasn't looking to go into sobriety. Mm. However, I ended up in sobriety. Yeah. So I want to be able to inspire people regardless of what their intentions are and then they can maneuver depending on what works for them. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, we'll start with you then and we'll talk about the origins of SAS and when before you tried to make conscious mindful drinking um, a pursuit, what was your relationship with alcohol in the beginning? Hmm. Well, I spent almost 12 years in the Royal Australian Navy. So mm-hmm. as many of you are aware, there's quite a notorious drinking culture, especially in Navy. I can't speak for what it's like now. I'm talking about during my tenure. Mm-hmm. And so I spent, you know, over a decade binge drinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was fun initially. Uh, it really did take a toll on me. So what did that look like? That meant I would sail um, to go to, you know, 10 different countries in six months, Singapore, Thailand, you know, all these amazing places. And, you know, sometimes every three days I was pulling into a new country. It was like being on a Kentucky tour, but working extremely hard. Mm-hmm. That was the level of partying that was happening. Yeah. And I maintained that for over a decade. Uh, then I discharged from the military, went into corporate, slowed down a little bit, not that much. Um, I still got stuck into sort of that corporate party culture. Mm-hmm. And then I sort of had a, a moment where I discovered that my mental health was actually really poor. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize I'd been undiagnosed with PTSD for over a decade. Oh, okay. But I was having nightmares every night, you know, I wasn't sleeping. And um, then I started to go, okay, well, why am I feeling like this? And what can I do for myself to give me the best opportunity to heal? And so I looked at meditation, I looked at my relationship with alcohol, and they were, those were the two things that really did help. Mm. And I did my first no drinking challenge for six months in August, 2019. So that's when the journey started, mm-hmm. did that six months, and that had a profound effect on me. Yeah. The intention of that was merely to adopt more self-discipline, to you know get my health mentally and physically better. I had mm. no intention of doing anything after that. However, after that, I felt so good that I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to go for a 12-month. Mm. So then I did a 12-month challenge, Yeah. did that. And then that probably hit me the hardest, I think. Because the, the six months was like, I just want to have a better relationship with alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not looking to not drink mm. per se. Maybe it's more about 
not having a bender and just having two or three drinks Yeah. when I finished that six months. No, 12 months, no drinking completely changed my world mm. because I really started to delve into the psychology of socializing. Yeah. I was fascinated by it. You know, I started to understand that some of the biggest challenges with not drinking has nothing to do with you and your desire to drink or not. It's the environments you're in. It's how people react to you not wanting to drink. Mm. And me deciding to do that for a whole year, all of a sudden my friendship groups are changing. Yeah. The dynamics of my relationships with family are changing. Professional relationships are changing. It it in in many ways it really broke my world apart mm. for the better. Yeah. However, it was a really intense shift. I came through the other side of that a different person. Mm. And then it was, um, I think I did another six month one after that. Yeah. Um, I, and you know, this went on for a really long time, like the no drinking challenges. I'm not joking. I think I did about five of these. And consecutively? Or, yeah. <laughs> I think um, pretty much back to back minus one or two where I got drunk for one birthday mm-hmm. and then started another six month one after that. And then I had one drink at a wedding, which is when I finally decided to go into permanent sobriety. If I could describe my relationship with deciding to go into sobriety think of it as there's two people dating okay and they've been dating for six months it's pretty serious they do everything together Mm. they're committed to each other but someone doesn't want to put a label on it yeah that was me i don't want to say i'm sober i don't want to say i'm not going to drink let's just date for another 12 months Mm -hmm. give me another six months and i'll decide if i want to just you know commit to you Mm. that's what it felt like I knew in my heart that I didn't want to drink anymore I was too scared to break the news to the people around me Mm -hmm. and so I think I was putting it off for a really long time because I was really scared of being stigmatized yeah absolutely people often look at so people in sobriety as boring you know vanilla Mm. you know I'm worried I'm gonna lose my sass Mm -hmm. and um it took a really long time my friends are kind of just like clearly you don't want to drink just fucking own it Mm. And that was hard for me. Yeah. Finally, I decided to do it after like three years of playing this game. And it was honestly a huge weight off my shoulders. Mm -hmm. I was really scared. Yeah. It's weird how alcohol has this like bind over our psyche and how because it's so heavily ingrained in our culture, particularly in Australia. And yeah, like going out there and abstaining from alcohol. Yeah, it can be often... The reaction from people is just like, what, why? And then the assumptions come in just, I mean, for, unfortunately for women, the first one usually comes up, oh, are you pregnant? You That's know, it. which is always a very invasive, <laughs> invasive question. But then like, you know, you get, oh, are you an alcoholic? It's like, yes. <laughs> so so what I, if I, mean, I am? Even that label, I guess, as I've gone along in my journey where, you know, I'm coming up in three years, okay. I don't really even... Yeah, thank you. I don't really even identify with that anymore because, like, well, I'm not, I'm only an alcoholic if I drink again, That's really. Right. So to keep labeling myself that, you know, for the rest of my life, is it really worth doing that? And I guess I agree. I'm kind of at a point, even saying, oh, well, I'm so, I could say, like, I'm sober, I guess, um, or I, I just don't drink. I mean, that's it. I mean, I guess the other one, I mean, the alcohol free, which was what I first heard from former guest, uh, James Swanick, he, which he has yeah he brought the alcohol free lifestyle so that was i guess the first time i heard that and i thought that kind of that kind of works as well and Mm. it seems a lot more 
it seems more I guess it's a funny way with the way we play with language and what Absolutely. oh this is a bit stigma this is and oh this the is better of it. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so there wasn't really any like I guess as for many people who go down this route there's rock bottom moments it just was it for you just because like okay I guess PTSD is very common amongst service people people in the in the in military so was it just like okay I'm I'm acknowledge. I guess you you notice your PTSD, and then that you're consciously aware of it, and then you sort of okay, what is what could I sort of work on, and then you sort of start addressing some of the things in your life. That was what I convinced myself to be the main driver. Mm. However, aside from that, were these other branches, which I really think probably paid a bigger part in me wanting to go into permanent sobriety mm. or living an alcohol-free lifestyle. Yeah, I grew up with a severely addicted drug um, parent who was addicted to drugs and alcohol in particular the alcohol really impacted me as a child Mm -hmm. seeing what that did to my mother and how much that impacted me as a kid really started to raise some questions not really up until I did my six month challenge but Mm. then I'm starting to reflect on alcohol more broadly now you know my mother and her relationship with alcohol changed my life Mm. um she was a single parent. She was, you know, so addicted to alcohol that, you know, she would drink a bottle of vodka a day. Mm. Um, so much abuse. Um, I was continuously psychologically abused by my mum, which really impacted me as a child. On top of that, I was neglected. You know, many times she would go out on a bender and disappear for three or four days. I'd be at home with no food. Year seven, my, my teacher's are ringing, where are you, where are you? I'm like, I'm sorry, my mum's not here. Mm. She's on a work trip, uh, that sort of thing. It disrupted my schooling. I missed so much of high school. And then I ended up getting homeschooled uh, and, you know, back in and out of 11 different schools. Mm. And that has a lot to do with my mum's inability to be present for me mm. because of those addictions. So there was that. And that gave me more insight into how much drinking can change people. Yeah. So that's one side of it. And I think I got really sick of being around the drama. Mm-hmm. You know, no one wants to talk about this. And I think I was one of the first people that I'd seen really delving into drunk drama. And I'm like, this is an important topic because mm-hmm. you don't need to be um, combating addiction to be negatively impacted by that. And a lot of people that cause drunk drama are people that don't even consider themselves to have an issue with drinking. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is so overlooked in our culture. And so many people experience it. I mean, you go to a hen's, you go to a birthday, and there's a certain point in the night where the energy will shift if there's enough alcohol consumed, regardless of how well put together you think you are and how squared away you are. There are 10, 20, 30 people there. Not all of you are going to be conscious enough and mindful enough about your people and your surroundings Mm. and and whether or not you have the ability to moderate is another factor. Yeah. It's a really brutal thing to say but it's such an important message that our desire to drink alcohol cannot come before keeping the people around us safe Mm. no one wants to hear it i think there's a real need in society for us to take more ownership and if that is scary for some people i understand the idea of giving up alcohol if they can't moderate is is hard but we do owe it to the people around us to not negatively impact them Mm. so i'm really passionate about that yeah because that's actually one of the things I think I wrote down here that I was interested in was drunk drama. drama. Mm. I hadn't really... I mean, I've probably 
been the perpetrator of that from back of my drinking days. Because even I was thinking, like, if you even going to parties now or going to things sober and like, because as as a sober person, there will, like you said, when the energy starts to sort of shift in the party, you're like, okay, well, this is this is time to clock out. And then you get the next day, like, oh, well, how was the rest of the night? And then it's like, like when I was there, oh, it's fine. And then like the rest of the night just went pear shaped, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Afterwards, it's it's like what happens after the, you know three a.m. or something. It's just there's the cat's out of the bag. It's so true. <laughs> and look, I have caused drunk drama. Mm. Um, I'm not. It's it wasn't a signature behaviour of mine. It's not something that people would identify me with as having a problem with going out and causing drama all the time. Mm. But you know, I'm 36 now, so I've 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 done my fair share of drinking. And I too have caused it. Yeah. And sitting with that guilt and shame the next day is one of the most uncomfortable feelings. And I took it really hard. And I know for people that are experiencing that more regularly, it must be so deeply impactful psychologically mm. to have to deal with that guilt and shame. And uh, I feel like there's not enough conversation around that for people because what I'm seeing is I get DMs from people when they see these videos. They can't like them because they don't want to be seen liking them, but they'll message me and go, Sass, you know, I feel really bad. I fucked up on the weekend and I just don't, I don't know what to do. And But they don't identify with being addicted. So they don't feel like they need or should go and seek professional guidance, which is not true. Mm. I think we need to um, stop telling people, you know, you should only be seeking support or analyzing your relationship with alcohol if you drink every single day or if you um, have ruined you know, a relationship. Like, where do we set the bar for that? Mm. I think society's come such a long way in terms of you know, personal development. Mm. Many people are more informed about mindfulness, about boundaries, and you know, people have more understanding of psycho- psychology and wanting to improve relationships. But when it comes to alcohol, it's sort of like a no-go zone. Mm. No one sort of considers that, look, you can read all of the personal development books you want, but if you're out binge drinking every weekend, how does that sort of work? If, yeah. you're, not gonna, if you're just going to look at everything but that. Mm. So I think there's a lot of room for people to open their minds when it comes to drinking mm. and also what they're willing to tolerate. Yeah, It's not just are you causing drunk drama? It's, are you enabling that? Mm. Are you, are you allowing that standard in your social settings, in your friendship groups? And also good friends have the tough conversations with people that are causing those issues because that issue is a reflection of their own inner struggle. Mm. And no one wants to be that person. No one wants to sit someone down and go, babe, look, I'm, I'm a bit concerned about your drinking. The last few times we've been out, you know, you've caused a bit of a scene and I'm just wondering is there anything else going on no one wants to do that because mm. I guess a lot of it is how how the person will react to that you know yeah you know which can become with friction and tension like oh how dare you you drink more than me blah 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 That's and right. then then drunk drama ensues perhaps as well like, and I guess no one wants to have that conversation mm. until it's too late I yeah. look at it like this I when I was younger I had friends that would get drunk and they'd always try and start fights and I'd mm. somehow managed to mediate and we'd just get out of it what happens the next time pardon me when that person potentially knocks someone out mm. one punch can kill yeah gets hit by a car mm. enabling plays a part in that process yeah it's only a certain amount of times before something serious can occur mm. so i think a lot of people don't worry about it because you know nothing there's been no grave consequences mm. um you know my mum's almost died several times mm. 
being in environments where she's caused issues, she's um, initiated violence with people, she's come out second best. Yeah. It's no different in a nightclub. So mm. I urge people to really consider what you're tolerating, what you're creating in your social environments, and how does your relationship with alcohol affect your friends, your family, and your colleagues? Mm. I guess we're very, we can be very easily to turn a blind eye and just say, oh, well, because I'm not the one causing fights, then I'm part of the solution. And it's, I think I've heard the saying, it's just like if there's 10 people and one person behaves like a fuckwit but the nine others do nothing, then those nine other people may as well not be there. Mm-hmm. And because I think with a lot of, I mean, with drinking, like especially when you're getting to high levels of drinking, and I mean, it was something I learned in rehab for one of my psychologists was that like the rational part of your brain just goes to sleep. And, right. you know, I mean, these altercations where, I mean, you see the ads for it where like you some guy bumps another guy and his drink spills over and then he's just quick to just punch him in the face. Happens so often. You know, when you're sober in those environments and, you know, some guy steps on your shoe and you bump and you just kind of just like, uh, you exactly. just, you rub it off because you're just like, these guys are pissed. They're not going to, um, I mean, if you're quick to respond in that sense, like that's an issue because it's just like, you know, is it really worth it? I mean, I, I mean, talking about guys I used to go, I used to know guys back who used to go out to surface on Saturday nights looking to fight people. Like that was, yeah. we're going to go out, you're going to go out and fight people. It's like I was going to go get drunk and possibly try and find a woman. Like that was my, <laughs> that was, that was my interest, yeah, I guess. Yeah. It, was, it was some sort of, um, I guess, ego trip for them to want to do that. And then I later learned that one of those guys ended up getting into professional fighting. So I was like, oh, well, at least if you want to p- punch people in the face, you can do it in a professional sense with someone who, who's aware that, he's going to be in a fight as well as opposed to, you know, cowardly punching or king hitting or whatever we call it now these days, just punching someone and then, yeah, like they hit the curb and they crack the head open and then that's it. And it's like... And I think what you're mentioning is really important because whilst I would say it's not just men that do this, Mm. I think in many ways when we look at why these fights occur, I think moderation plays a really big part in that, our inability to moderate alcohol is a huge driver to, you know, violence occurring in these social environments. But there's also the conversation around, you know, what the excuse is. Mm. So there's a lot of, like, grey areas around this, right? For example, you know, I have a friend and her boyfriend is trying to protect their partner because some guy, like, tried to Mm. touch her, whatever, la, la, la. We need to be clear on what that protective energy is. Mm. There's a difference between escalating a problem. See, how many times have you heard someone, you know, get into a fight and they go, I didn't start it. <laughs> yeah, I understand you didn't, but you also didn't have to take it that far. Mm. So we need to, we need people to understand how to deal with those issues more diplomatically. Mm. No one is asking you to not protect people. However, you need to do it in a way that's not going to cause more harm. And this is what I said to one of um the guys that i went out with years ago um because i personally got physically attacked there's a good story i'll share with you after Mm. um he did not take into account that when he wanted to punch on with someone that had 10 friends there that that was going to put me in danger Mm. i didn't have a choice whether to take part in that activity that was thrusted upon me yeah it's not just about whether you're a unit and you're a good kickboxer and you're you know you do bjj it doesn't fucking Mm. matter the people around you may not be prepared for that. So if you are looking for trouble, that's your own personal journey. Mm. You cannot implicate the people around you that are going to try and save you and try and 
oh no, someone's getting hurt. They're going to come in, they're going to get hurt. So mm. we really need to expand our minds when it comes to stopping that from happening. Mm. If someone engages you, put the ego aside yeah. and think, is it worth it? Mm. There's security at clubs. I'm not saying they always do their job, but there is absolutely no need for you to beat the shit out of somebody. Mm. Sometimes it's better to just turn away. Mm. Like we need to have that conversation more. Yeah. So many people hide behind these excuses it's not an excuse to put your partner at risk or your friends. You know, mm. we, how often are we seeing people getting stabbed and mm. and things like this over just trivial shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we need to grow up <laughs> yeah, sometimes, absolutely. right? Yeah, heaps of it. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of immaturity and yeah, like it's, you know, people not taking responsibility. You know, oh, well, I didn't start it. So it's like, well, you didn't stop it. You just kept it going. I guess you know, it's That's it. what what are you, what are you going to get out of it in the end? You know you hurt somebody what you got some sort of ego and pride oh, i beat someone up it's just like cool oh man God. like <laughs> and yes yeah, so that story right it was years ago I, I can't even remember now possibly 2010 2011 mm. and i was seeing this dude and we went to a nightclub and i didn't drink that night because i was driving and anyway i'm just minding my business on the dance floor having a good time and these two chicks come up to me and they're like we know that guy that you're with. I'm like, oh, cool, no worries. And they're like, no, we know him really well. I'm like, great, that's <laughs> awesome. Thanks for letting me know. Out of nowhere, these two chicks come up to him while I'm standing next to him. And I don't know, maybe they had hooked up or something in the past. I'm not too sure. And one of the chicks threw a drink on him. Now, he was drunk. Mm. And he had a choice. He was at a crossroad. Okay? You can tell security or you can just go fuck off and leave mm. or ignore it. Now, I understand that would have been triggering. Yeah. Anyway, for whatever reason, they started a verbal altercation and she threw a punch at him. See, this is where it gets tricky for people. Mm. She threw the first punch. I understand that's not okay. Now, he he made a decision in the heat of the moment, which I don't agree with, and mm -hmm. I don't agree with her actions either. But he hit her back. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying he shouldn't have hit her because she's a woman. I'm just saying, period, like there's no point escalating that drama mm. whether a man or woman is hitting you because it's not going to end well. Yeah. He hit her back. Mm. All of a sudden, he gets dragged out by security because they see a man hitting a woman. Yeah. He gets kicked out. I then get <laughs> jumped by five of her friends alone yeah. in the club. Right? Mm. This is a prime example. Mm. So I bear the consequences of that. I was sober. I wasn't drinking. Mm. But I, w I was left in a position where I couldn't talk my way out of it. Yeah. He could have. Mm -hmm. So, well, he could maybe not, but he could have not escalated it. Mm. So that's a, a prime example. Now they ripped my dress off. I had no bra on mm -hmm. in front of like, you know, 30, 40 people. Mm -hmm. I'm left in a bar alone, yeah. a club. So that was really humiliating experience for me mm. yeah so i think that just gives that's a testament to how important these conversations are mm. yeah and like the action your actions affect others definitely and especially yeah i guess it was stuff like that and then yeah, if it's filled with alcohol like it's it's really messy yeah and there's been multiple occasions where there's been close calls mm. I feel like I've spent so much time. I'm hyper vigilant from having an alcoholic parent, right? So I'm. Mm. I feel like I can pick up on the vibes before things go down. Yeah. Even when I'm drinking, I always have this other side of me that was like, "Oh, we need to go." Mm. And so many times, I'd almost got knocked out because you know someone I'm with had too much to drink. Yeah. And they 
got shitty that someone bumped them. Mm. Come on. Yeah. It's a pretty rough thing that you had to go through. Especially when you're five foot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and can't fight to save your life. <laughs> it's very yeah. stressful, guys. Yeah, very stressful. <laughs> I mean, another thing which was here, I guess, and this is probably another thing that would probably relate more to women is like, I guess, the concept of drink spiking. Sure. Which, I mean, if I was to say my drink was spiked, I'd just call it irresponsible drinking. I probably just spiked myself. So... Um, I remember I had, a, I had a friend I used to work with, he'd get pissed every weekend and he'd go home and tell his parents that his drink got spiked, like when he was just two, and his mum was really naive, just like, oh, his drink's got spiked again the fourth weekend in a row. <laughs> it's oh, just like, it's like, oh, she's just, sees an innocent kid, he's just, yeah, just getting on the piss too much. But I mean, it's, it's certainly something more concerning, yeah, for, for women for sure, like, have you had any experience with that? Because I, I know I you've have. got videos on that. Oh, so you do, yeah. I have. So I would say yes, and I actually have stats that I I spoke into drink spiking a few months ago and I did um, have some stats there that I don't know off the top of my head. But um, drink spiking is definitely, I think it's 75%. Let's see if we can find it. <laughs> it might have been on my story. I think it's 75% of drink spiking is women mm. or something like that. It's possibly more. Yeah. Um. I have had the experience. Mm. I've also been there when a male has been drink spiked. In my experience, what occurred was um, very surprising. Mm. Okay. So like I mentioned, I'm quite hypervigilant. So when I'm out in the club, when I was drinking, I've always been pretty careful. Mm. This happened to me in a way that really caught me off guard. And that's why I did share it. I ended up having to delete that video just because um, some of the messages I was getting, I was just not interested in dealing with that. Mm. What happened was I was at my best friend's house, right? You're not expecting this. It was me, two other girls, and one of their partners who we knew ex- like extremely well. We trust him. And he had a random friend come over for pre-drinks. So mm. we're heading out to Coogee when I was living in Sydney afterwards. I'm like three drinks deep or something. So I'm completely not paying attention to my drink because I'm at my best mate's house. Mm. Anyway, so this dude was quite disrespectful. Mm. Um, he was like just, you know, putting his feet up on the table, like just knocking things over, just being just being rude. And I just said, hey, mate, um, you know, my friends let you into their home. Could you just be a bit more respectful? You know, yeah. this, is, this is, you know, this is a home. And he really didn't like that. He did not like me. Mm. I got the sense he did not like me in general. Um, Maybe I was quite protective of my friend. Um, I just felt that, you know, he kind of came in like a bull in a china shop and he was just rude. And he he made a lot of sexist jokes and, you know, commented on my tits. And I'm just like, who is this guy? (laughs) So anyway, (laughs) it is what it is. Life of the party. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, I don't think too much of it. You know, I put my drink down, I go to the bathroom. I'm in my best mate's house. What's possibly going to go wrong? Mm. All of a sudden, so I think there was four or five of us. Four. Must have been four. So we're jumping into the Uber to go to Coogee. And all of a sudden, like, everything's slowing down. Mm. And I don't remember everything that happened after that. But I knew that my vision was blurry. I couldn't hear people. Like, they were fading in and out. Mm. And I was sweating profusely. I had this small, like aqua jumpsuit on it was pretty much dripping Mm. and then the next thing i remember was i got kicked out of the uber Mm. 
and they dropped us off. Now, I got told by my friend it was in Anzac Parade in Sydney, so he must have thought she's going to spew, she has to leave, and then my mate got out with me. And all of a sudden I can't breathe properly. Mm. I'm just trying to say to my friend, I can't breathe properly. I can't, I'm like slurring my words and I can't stand up and then I'm going really cold and hot and then I'm in and out. I'm pretty much in and out of consciousness. The next thing I know, well, I know from after the fact that my close friend called an ambulance, but it was taking too long. Mm. And I started vomiting and like convulsing. It got pretty serious. And um, the next thing I knew, a cop was shining a torch in my eyes. I was like on the pavement. That's the next thing I remember. And so apparently the cop drove me to the hospital. I was okay in Mm. the end. But I guess what's really scary is that like I got spiked with a date rape drug in daylight Mm. at a friend's house. Yeah. Um. That's so unexpected, mm. isn't it? Yeah. Because, yeah, you'd be on guard when you're in like a public environment like a bar or a nightclub for that for something like that happen. But to ha- have that happen in an environment like your best friend's house, yeah, where you wouldn't be expecting it. Yeah, Apparently quite... this guy, so he was a um, fellow Defence Force member mm. and allegedly he has done this to other people. Yeah. Now, that is... <laughs> Yeah, that really changed my perspective on it. That's when I started looking into, um, I think there's a brand called Capit um, where you can buy these drink spike covers and things for your drinks. And I ended up just makeshift, you know, napkin vibes. But Mm. yeah, you do need things like that. I mean, I can't even imagine what would have happened if I was on my own. Mm. So scary. Yeah. And I guess... It's not the first time. I've had it happen twice, actually. Yeah. yeah. And you get, I mean, you get guys like... I mean, obviously, I mean, for someone like me, I'd never think to do something like that. So you might go, oh, well, you know, because you see stuff, because I've seen stuff where like you can pour stuff in your drink and then it turns a certain color. And if it turns a certain color, then there's something in it. And for a lot of guys, which is quite predatory that, you know, like, oh, well, the only way I'm going to get what I want is if I can get her to lower her inhibitions. Well, how can you do that? So sinister. By drinking or other substances put in her system, which, yeah, it's just... It is extremely predatory. And I think Mm. if I was to give my honest thoughts on how people could be more careful, because look, that was a rare situation. Mm. I'm not going to say that's going to happen to everybody, but that just gives you a fresh perspective on how deep this runs. Mm. If you're out in a bar or a club where it's more likely to occur, um, and and even as someone who doesn't drink alcohol, I can still have my non-alcoholic drink, right? That's another thing. Mm. Yes, you're an easier target if you're drinking alcohol because you're less aware. Mm. So if you are going to go to a bar or go somewhere like that even if you're not paying for your own drinks go up to the bar grab the drink yourself yeah you know i understand sometimes people are shouting you drinks i wouldn't let a stranger do that personally but if you're going to go up there grab the drink yourself don't Mm. let them bring it back to the table if you're going to go to the bathroom if you're not taking your drink with you for whatever reason i understand but Mm. um give it to someone who is in the right headspace to, to mind it. You know, you give it to your best mate because she's your bestie. Well, she could be fucking shit-faced, mm. not paying attention. You know, she's talking, she's dancing, she's, you know, there's four or five drinks there. She probably doesn't even know which one's yours anymore. Yeah. Easy to spike. Mm. Just little things like that. And, um, I mean, there's more on my page, but I think, like, there's probably some of the main ones that I would think about. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a, I guess, yeah, from my perspective to 
to, to take that in like from a female perspective even like you're going out to a bar and like you see a girl you like and you want to buy her a drink I guess as an introduction and you know if she says no then you might think oh well she's not interested but then there could be this perspective where it's just like well I don't want a strange a stranger to buy me a drink because of this because of this scenario in particular so well thank you for sharing all that that's a really um probably an intense experience and glad you made it through it thank you yeah. thanks so much so we try and i guess because now you're because how long have you been without alcohol but now so even though i've spent the majority of three years sober technically my last drink would have been may last year mm-hmm. so i decided to have one drink at a family wedding yeah. or engagement party and then that's when i chose to go into permanent sobriety mm-hmm. before that it was just you know Six months, 12 months, six months, 12 months, mm. one drink for my birthday. Oh, no, so one night of getting drunk for my birthday, which was in, like, 2021. So, yeah, I've only drunk two or three times in the last three years, but it's been official Yeah. since, I think it was April last year. Mm. Yeah. So, the, like, the, the drink at the family wedding, was that just, oh, well, you have it, and then you're like, nah, this isn't for me. Was it anything like that? Or just Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> it was after doing like, what is it, four or five of these challenges. Mm. Again, it was like not wanting to put a label on it. Yeah. Like a commitment phobe when it comes to not drinking. It's mm. just like, I want, all, I want all of the benefits, but I don't want to put a label on it. Yeah. Now, if you've ever been in a relationship like that, many people will relate to that, what that feels like. Mm. So I finally decided like, I want to invest in this. I want to make it official. You know, if there was a thing I could put on like my Facebook profile in a relationship with alcohol-free lifestyle. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. It. Make it official. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, well, that's good. Mm. Um, I mean, you mentioned, I guess, off camera that you're in a relationship with your partner now for the last, what was it five years? Yeah, it'll be six years in August. Mm. And you mentioned that he drinks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I guess you've already just shared that you've had relationships in the past with, I guess, men who probably haven't had a good relationship with alcohol. I guess, how is him, I mean, what's his relationship like with alcohol? And is there any, I guess, friction there, really? Oh, no, I'm so blessed. So um, he, firstly, is so supportive of my journey Mm. with not drinking. Yeah. And his drinking, um, I think when I think about what I require from a partner in terms of if they're going to be drinking alcohol is to make sure that their their relationship with alcohol doesn't negatively impact me. Mm. And... I'm so lucky because, you know, I don't even really feel like, I don't really feel like we're that different. Yeah. You think we're worlds apart because he drinks and I don't. But at the same time, um, he's so conscious of how he treats people when he drinks. He's so conscious of his behavior. And, Mm. and, you know, he's, you know, a mindfulness teacher. Mm. You know, he's done a lot of work on himself as well. And I think that plays a big part in it too. Like both of us, you know, you know, have done lots of partying in the past. Mm. Um, And I think with the previous relationships, like the one I was referring to, um, like wasn't that serious. Yeah. So, you know, I've been blessed to have many good partners in my life. Um, and Joel, my current partner, is um, extremely conscious of how he impacts everyone around him. Mm. So, you know, I've not really had to deal with any issues in terms of his drinking. Mm. Yeah, because I guess I bring that up because sometimes people will look at, yeah, like, oh, well, someone doesn't drink and someone does. Like, it. I guess depending on the relationship, yeah, like it, it usually can either, like, it'll either become a problem or like the person who drinks will feel more inclined to drink less 
Um, but it sounds like, yeah, like, I mean, you, the first thing you said was supportive. And, I mean, if it's been six, nearly six years, then he was a part of when you were going through the Absolutely. 80 million alcohol-free challenges. So. <laughs> yeah, and the partying before that. Yeah. And I look, I will be transparent in saying, and I've made videos about this, and they often get misconstrued, so let me be clear. My partner is extremely supportive. Mm. However, the depth of what I'm doing absolutely changes the dynamic of our relationship. There's mm. no question. Like, yes, we're still very similar and I don't feel like we're completely different people, but there's a transition which is inevitable. Mm. So he had to get used to me being um, socializing differently. Yeah. And I guess the things we do together are different because I'm not necessarily interested in the same things. So even though it, he's supportive, um, it's a big change for mm. anyone to witness and to be around family, colleagues, because, you know, Sass used to stay out to 3 a.m. Mm. So whilst he's handled it with grace, I can't play down the fact that there's big changes that have occurred. Mm. Well, I think there's always going to be big changes, in particular, yeah, when you do stop drinking, like everything changes. <laughs> your whole, like, Definitely. It, yeah, I mean, you mentioned too, yeah, like your relationships change, the depth of your relationships change, with friends, family, romantic partners, um, you you know, you then the smoke, the fog clears and then you can start figuring out well, what do I actually like doing? I'm doing a lot of things that I'm only really doing because there's alcohol present in the moment. I mean, there's a amount of things that people do. It's just like, even like going out, like people just like, oh, you, you ask, would you come out and do it sober? Oh, no, it's boring. If I, I wouldn't yeah. come out. It's just like, what, why are you doing it then? <laughs> You're only here because the alcohol is the only component that makes it fun it's just like well that's where a lot of people are at sadly Mm. and it's i have to admit the journey i've gone on is quite triggering to a lot of people Mm. because it's so like for people that knew me when i was the party girl who'd spend fifteen hundred dollars on shots for everyone at the bar Mm. that was my toxic drinking trait we all have our own things (laughs) i was i would whack so much money like you know have more shots do this do that i've gone from that girl to this girl Mm. (laughs) so a lot of people know that they want to change their relationship with alcohol they don't fully understand why it's like i'm getting a lot of messages from people that knew me from back in the party days Mm. and they're just like i don't know why i feel like i need to look at my relationship with alcohol but i just feel like something's tugging at me like i'm just getting over you know, it's mind-numbing mm. doing the same thing, just like the pointless, mind-numbingly predictable drunk conversations. Mm-hmm. You know, where do they lead to? Like, why do I feel like I can't connect with people without it? Mm. And so I think, like, I ask people to explore what it might be like to have a short window without it because you start to sort of peel those onion layers back. Yeah. And you find out a lot about yourself. Mm. And I think that's probably been the scariest and most profound aspect of this journey. Because for me, I didn't have an alcohol use disorder. You know, mm. that wasn't the driver for me to not drink. Yeah. It was once I realized how much the habit of drinking kind of embedded laziness in me, mm. in my very nature, my zest for life, in my, my ways of connecting with people. Mm. And it also lowered my standards this yeah. is big for me right i just my standards were so much lower in terms of what i tolerated the type mm. of behavior i exhibited 
and how I basically did everything. Like mm. I didn't think it would have such a big impact on me because I wasn't addicted, but no, it filters into every area of your life because if you're, you know, sort of conditioned to think, okay, if I want to dance or I want to feel sexy or I want to have fun and go out, I have to be drinking. Mm. That's a significant part of your life. You know, yeah. cultivating joy is an important part of life. Mm. You might work a nine to five and think, oh, it's just Saturday and Sunday. It's not a big deal if I'm drinking every weekend. But it's like you're giving alcohol the responsibility of cultivating joy in your life. That's fucking huge. Mm. If you're working all week and then you have this short window where you like to go out and do stuff and you need to be drunk to feel that. Yeah. That's where I was at. I was mm. like, I wouldn't give myself permission to twerk on a, on a, nightclub podium if I was sober I wouldn't mm. you know I wouldn't feel sexy if I was sober and I was out like this mm. is how much responsibility I gave alcohol yeah I'm like you know I want to step into that you know bad bitch energy oh, I have to be shit faced to do that yeah. no <laughs> this is this is seriously like so many people are in the chains of alcohol and don't even realize yeah it's a, an unhealthy attachment I mean we most of us start forming in our formative years because that's when a lot of us started drinking when we were teenagers yeah. and we attach it with, I mean, it starts, I guess, with attaching with socialising and then attaching with having a good time and then attaching with feeling good and then it just goes from there. Yeah. And then if you get yeah lost down that path and you forget what truly matters to you and what actually makes you happy without needing this um, outside substance to get there. So what, I guess, healthier habits do you incorporate now to... Yeah, bring you that joy. Well, I think some of it started before I gave up alcohol, which I've continued, which has assisted me with mm. cultivating joy. And it's also allowed me to stay alcohol free. And, and that was meditation and mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Having a clear mind allows you to make better decisions. This is why moderation is such a big issue, right? Mm -hmm. If you can't moderate, you don't have a clear mind. Yeah. So being clear-minded. Um, and I think also really tuning into what it is I loved before I commenced drinking at all, mm. really going back to that inner child. You know, I used to think that drinking and dancing was like a relationship that they had and I couldn't have one without the other. Mm. But when I was younger, I went to blue light discos. I did the fucking Macarena. I yeah. loved it. I wasn't <laughs> drinking. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Then, you know, I got conditioned mm. by society. So really stepping into what did I love before alcohol had the responsibility of cultivating joy for me? Mm. It's not even real joy. And it was, I liked dancing. I loved, I loved music. Mm. So, you know, I started doing things like going to music gigs sober and um, dancing in the mirror every single day. It sounds cheesy. And also allowing myself to be cringe and being a content creator has really allowed me to build that confidence mm. because, you know, there's this almost vanity and ego associated with being that drunk, cool girl. Like yeah. you've got to be cool. I've just decided I've got to learn to have fun without it. So being silly cultivates joy for mm. me. You know, that's yeah. like something I really enjoy. I love laughing. Mm. And if that means, you know, making a really cringy reel, I have fun doing that. Mm. I'm having fun. I mean, sort of embracing movement. Um, I go to a lot of holistic events mm. and I love food. So yeah. I've started doing things that's tantalizing my senses. Mm. And that has really reactivated pure joy for me. Mm. And connecting with people, we're having a conversation and it's not just some 
surface level shit. Yeah. Like I'm trying to meet people from different walks of life and getting to understand their journey. Mm. And that gives me a lot of joy. Yeah, absolutely. Because I guess even touching on that, um, like for a lot of people who think, who are probably reaching out to you, it's just like, yeah, I'm looking to make a change with my relationship with alcohol, but they might be surrounded in a circle of people who probably might not, who might not think the same way and think, no, you don't have a problem with alcohol, just keep drinking with us. How you have any tips for people to navigate or just finding a way to, yeah, like, all right, well, I want to be sober or go or explore being alcohol free for a bit, but I'm still hanging around the same people that yeah. are doing the same thing. Yes, this is a really important topic. Another thing that I speak on. And the truth is, no one likes hearing this, but this is how it is. Uh-oh. <laughs> Once you've decided you want to grow and expand in any way, if the people around you are not going to support you becoming your best version, you need to reevaluate those relationships. Mm. Now, I'm not saying cutting every single motherfucker off, but perhaps it's pivoting and going, maybe I'm going to focus more on these people Mm. and adjusting the level of access you have with those specific energy exchanges. Mm. If you're surrounded by people that... Maybe they're just not ready to grow yet. They're not bad people, but they're just not at that stage. And if you're finding you're getting a lot of resistance, you need to address it. Hmm. Many people that I still have in my life initially were overwhelmed and didn't respond well. I was able to talk to them, have transparent conversations, and we're good now. Hmm. On the other hand, other people continuously taunted me about it. And I made the decision, okay, they're not in my inner circle anymore. I'm going to push them back to acquaintance level. Hmm. If I'm still finding that their influence on me is negatively impacting my goals, I need to create more distance. And then in some cases, yes, I did have to have to cut people off. Yeah, We have to make that decision. If you try and grow and surround yourself with people that are continuously derailing you, you're working harder, not smarter. Mm. A big part of this journey, whether it's one month not drinking, six months, or just becoming more mindful drinkers, you need to take ownership of your healing. Mm. You have to be willing to make the tough decisions. If that means changing your social environments, changing the level of access people have to you, practicing in the mirror how to state those boundaries. Mm. It's not just a case of drinking or not drinking. It's taking positive control of how you're going to execute this journey. Mm. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, that makes total sense. Standards are really important with this Mm. because when you are elevating your standards socially or just by, you know, even for your health, it's much easier to be consistent when you apply having high standards in every area of life. And this is what not drinking really taught me. Mm. It started off with me just having high standards about you know, who I was hanging around, not sitting in a hotel room at 3am with people on the bag, mm. you know, doing fuck all. Yeah. I, you know, I elevated my social circle. But then I applied that to everything because mm. I'm like, if I'm not willing to tolerate X, Y, and Z when I'm socializing, I'm more present and aware. Now I'm going to apply the same high standards to all of my relationships, to all of my professional communications, to my morning routine. So there's a beautiful flow on effect it really sets a foundation for you. So my advice would be start getting clear on what you want and instead of just focusing on goals, really spend the time navigating what systems you need to put in place to mm. set those solid foundations for you. Mm. Yeah. 
And just, yeah, and then just get used, I guess, get comfortable with being uncomfortable with it. It is, yeah. I mean, you're probably going, I mean, even just going out, like if you're the only sober person around a bunch of people with drinking, eventually it's going to start to get old. You're just going to be like, I don't, you'll start, the energy will start to shift in you that just like, this isn't, this isn't working for me anymore. <laughs> I'm not on the same vibration as these people because these people are artificially enheartening themselves with, with alcohol. So, um, and then, yeah, it's just, you know, you want to make a change. Well, this is what comes with change. and It's uncomfortable. Yeah. And you will have uncomfortable, robust conversations that cannot be avoided. The, the bigger the gap between where you are and where you want to be, the more challenging conversations you're going to have. Mm. But how you manage those conversations and the more use you get to having them, the more room for growth there is. And it, you can apply that to anything, you know. Mm. This relationship I've built with alcohol that's really conscious has given me the tools to set boundaries with people on topics that have nothing to do with drinking mm. because I've learned to advocate for myself. Yeah. And I've also set this precedence with all of my friends that they understand that I'm taking myself seriously. Mm. So when I said, hey, guys, you know, I'm not going to be drinking anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. No, like actually I'm not. Yeah. Um, and I'm firm on that oh, okay, no worries. And same goes with anything else. And they go, okay, noted. Like she doesn't fucking take any shit. Because mm. how many times have people gone, just fucking have a drink, like yeah, stop yeah. it. And I've had to put my foot down and learn how to do that in a really measured way so I don't get triggered. Mm. And people see you doing that, all of a sudden it changes your persona. And it's not always good. Like some people don't like when you step into your power. Let's yeah. be clear. That was a really rude awakening for me. Mm. The most challenging part of this journey was me deciding to become my best version pissed off a lot of people, yeah. even people that were close to me. Mm. And I know that. Mm. And I don't take it personally. I understand that they're projecting. I understand that that's something that they need to work with within themselves. Mm. But it's not as cruisy as what people might think. Mm. Everyone thinks the hardest part is not picking up the drink. Yeah. I feel for me personally, it wasn't that. It was the um, the social, it was the dynamics mm. shifting around me. Yeah. Yeah, and people's projections is just a reflection of themselves and what they're going through usually. Absolutely. And, yeah. like, you know, I still hold a lot of people in high regard that challenged me on my decision, mm. um, but I still had to make the tough calls. Mm. You know, I kind of think of it as running a business. Yeah. You know, you don't always, you know, you want to be friends with everyone, but you kind of actually have to ensure certain outcomes are met. Mm. So if that means you need to pull old mate into your office and go, this is what needs to happen. Are you on board with this? Yes or no. And they go, no. Okay, no worries. You, then maybe this isn't going to work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's just, and it is important to stand your ground because I guess, I mean, from my experience, when I started drinking was, was in high school and it was around peer pressure. And I mean, I just succumbed to peer pressure because I was sick of my mates telling me to drink when I didn't want to. But of course. If you can get to like, and it, that comes to boundaries, which I didn't learn until I went to rehab. And they're like making decisions for yourself. And yeah, if you don't want to drink, don't drink. You don't have to drink. You don't have to, you know, please the people around you if you don't want to do something. Because in your heart, you know that I don't really want to do this. I want to try and pursue this other thing because I want to elevate in life. Mm. And I guess by cutting out the alcohol, that's a great invitation to be able to clear the fog and then start exploring that. Definitely. So what's the plans for 2023 for you? I mean, you've, you're 
pl- you've got plenty of content there that you're putting out on social media with plenty of useful information around alcohol strategies. You are the strategist. So <laughs> what's, what's on the future for SAS in 2023? So in a few months' time, I will be qualified as a counsellor mm-hmm. and I am currently in the process of birthing something in the background which will probably launch mid this year. Mm. So a business in human behavior strategy, which incorporates alcohol and socializing uh, and counseling and basically consulting businesses and individuals on how to strategize their behavior. Mm. Because I think that the relationship with alcohol um, is a part of that. It comes down to it, right? Mm. So I want to be able to um, do speaking at events, go to businesses and also talk into workplace culture, including drinking culture, Mm. and then work with people one-on-one to allow them to understand their own behavior. I'll also bring in some of my mindfulness speciality as well Mm -hmm. and bring that into the business. So that's what's – and I'm continuing my psychology. I'm studying that as well. So that will take a million years to finish (laughs) (laughs) working on that. And I think for me, like in terms of my own personal goals, um, physical health is a big one for me this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've really spent the last three years focusing on my spiritual and mental well-being. Mm. This year it's time to get my ass into gear and, you know, (laughs) get – Get that nutrition and that gym sorted. That's always been like a big challenge for me is the gym. So yeah. tackling that. That's awesome. Plenty of plenty of good goals to smash this year. Though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining me, Sass, today. It's been a really good conversation and I appreciate you sharing some probably pretty confronting experiences you had over the years. Um, I'm sure our viewers will get a lot out of it. Um, you've been so open and vulnerable. I'll just end with one last question. Uh, what's the best piece of advice that you've received over the last couple of years? Regarding alcohol? Could be regarding alcohol, could be regarding life, could be regarding... Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> this is tough. Um, yeah. Ironically, this is something I used to roll my eyes to when I was serving in defence, mm-hmm. but it was so fucking true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I used to get yelled at by like someone you know for doing the wrong thing and they'd say it to me and i'm like whatever yeah but it's so true and it's so applicable to my journey with alcohol and i think it's along the lines of the standard you walk by is the standard you set Mm -hmm. and so if you want to put that into context with drinking if you're choosing to improve your relationship with alcohol or cease drinking you need to set the standard and advocate for yourself ensure that the people that you are surrounded by supporting your journey and also have higher standards regarding how you set up your day and you know everything that you do because if you do that it's so much easier to stick to you know not drinking or X amount of drinks so have a lot of integrity in the process Mm. I think that was a really big one for me because when I first started it was I'm just not going to drink Okay, but what tools and what systems do I have to do that? Like really take pride in that process and things will come together. Mm. And I think that's applicable to this journey and I think it's applicable to everything in life. Yeah. Raise the standard and do not enable shit behavior. Do not, therefore, you know, you won't attract shit behavior around you. Yeah. All is good from there on, I think. Mm. Awesome. Thanks for that. (laughs) (laughs) You made it through. I did. (laughs) 
Well, this has been another episode of the Last Rigs podcast, and I'm Will Hitchens, and we'll see you in the next one. Out. Out. <laughs>